0: I'm so glad we can trust in him today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's turn, if you would, today in Scripture. I greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege it is for us to be able to gather together and sing and worship and pray and give testimonies and hear of the great things that God is, is doing. <clears throat> Before we uh, read here, I'd like to ask you to remember Brother Eugene Kennedy. He's in um, a hospice house up in Bristol, Tennessee. Had to take him up a couple of days ago. He's certainly not not doing very good. And I heard from Sister Janet this morning. His mouth has uh, got some really bad places in it. He can't swallow, can't eat. Um, just in really bad shape. Certainly needs the Lord to... To move for our brother today, we believe the Lord's mindful, yes. don't we he's certainly mindful I also want to thank you for praying for Erica and uh, she had her treatment on Thursday and then the shot on Friday she's done well so far. thank the Lord for that just real real weak and needs, needs strength there but we're just believing the Lord that he's going to move for. We know the prophet told us that whenever Jesus was here on the earth that he used remedies. Actually, whenever the king, Hezekiah, was going to die, the Lord sent the prophet and told him that, and he prays and sends him right back around again. He goes back to him again, and he actually brings a poultice of figs and puts on that boil, and God uses things like that, don't he? Imagine how odd it must have seemed when the Lord Jesus would have spit into some dust and made it into mud and rubbed it on a blind man's eyes. I don't care if he spits in the face, if he has chemo, or if he... we just want to be well, don't we? Yeah. That's right. We want to do what God's called us to do. So let's just uh, bow our heads together and we'll pray. I mean, you have a need on your heart today to signify the lifting of your hand. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for being so mindful of us, Lord Jesus, we ask you today, Lord, that you would just help us as we have gather together here in this place that we've uh, been calling home for a little bit. We're praying that you would just once again come and speak to our hearts. We're so needy. We have so many needs, Father. We're bringing them before you. Brother Eugene, you see his state that he's in, Lord. And dear God, as I went to see him the other day, and just broke my heart. I know that he's got a new body that's waiting for him. It's wealthy in hell, rather well, rather. And we know that Satan, no matter what he does, he cannot take us until that purpose of God is finished. Amen. Our brother's been through this for so many, many years. and We don't always understand, but we know that we can trust you. You saw the hands that were lifted here today, Father. We pray that you'd be mindful of each one of those needs. Lord God, open our hearts today to your word. Speak to us, Father. Help us, I pray, that we can be able to be what you want us to be. We know the darkness is pressing against us like never before. Satan and all of his demons are doing everything they can to stand against the people of God. And the lid has been torn off of hell. But God, we believe you have a people that are standing on the earth that will withstand everything Satan does. We're glad to be identified with that today. Help us as we look into your word now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. I'd like to look today at the the fourth woman in the line of the genealogy of our Lord Jesus coming to the earth, of the five women that, Matthew writes about uh, four of them supposedly Gentiles, three of them in sexual misconduct, hurts, pains, sorrows, all kinds of things they come from. But depends on what we will allow the things that we go through do to us. They can shape us, they can mold us, they can make us better people. Or we can hang our head in shame, you know, hide from it all. But myself, I desire to be what the Lord wants me to be, no matter what I have to go through. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, And the other poor, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him." You may be seated. May the Lord bless his word. Bathsheba is a very unique character in the genealogy of our Lord. I preached about her and David for decades. But as I begin to look, as I've been studying on these women, I realized that there was an avenue of Bathsheba's life that I'd never looked at before. And I saw things about her that was different than what I had noticed before. I hope I and you never get to a spot to where we think so much, we know so much that God can't enlighten us more. I've always looked at Bathsheba as being in great fault, and I have flawed her because of instances of of the uh, baths, of course, and David seeing her. But as I begin to look into the way the scripture sets her forth, I realize that she wasn't to blame in the way that I had blamed her. Um, Maybe some of you can understand what I'm saying. And it's amazing how that, We can look at things for so long, and yet all of a sudden the Lord just opens it up, and it's like you're looking at an entire new thing that you've never seen before. By this time, it has been a little bit over a year. David has hid his sin, he's been sick, he's been weary. He's been without joy. He's lost power in his life. He's miserable. Everybody that was close to him could tell something was wrong. He wasn't writing any more songs. He was not penning any psalms. His joy was depleted. He was quite miserable. But yet, he had not come to the spot to where that he was able to go to the source of what was causing all this stuff and fix it. And God let it go, and he let it go, and he let it go. But David was acting true to form to the most of humanity. That when we get in trouble, we don't always go to the source that we should go to. And you, if you want to get a background of kind of where David was during this time frame, you can read Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. And you'll see where that David was and how that he knew he was wrong and he was so missing the former time he'd had with God. Now, at this stage in David's life, he's, he's a middle-aged man. And David, like many other great men, he had reached a plateau and his walk with God. I suppose he felt like, by this time, he would be able to back off a little bit, and he wouldn't have to do as much, and he wouldn't have to be under such strain. And such difficulty. He had been fighting since he was a small boy. He had been dealing with giants, Philistines, backslidden King Saul. He had been dealing with so many things in his life. But now he had entered into a place of rest. A place to where that the kingdom had been established, some of the tumultuous relationships among Saul's family and all of that had finally calmed down. There were still things going on, but yet he felt like that he had come to a spot to where he didn't necessarily have to fight like he did before. You know, that can be a good thing, but it can also be one of the most dangerous times of your life. David had not yet been willing to come out and confess his sin. Now, this is the man, but let us look at the woman. By the name of Bathsheba, in Chronicles, it calls her Bathsheba, but the same woman was a common Hebrew trait that they would rename their children after they were born, they would see a predominant factor in them and they would name them, you know, whatever, whenever they were born. And then they would see them as they would grow up and mature and they'd start seeing other things in them and they would rename them. So apparently, this had happened to her. She is married to Uriah the Hittite. He's a mighty general in the army of David. Her father is. L-E-M. Her grandfather is a great man also, one of David's personal counselors. His name is Ahithophel. Ahithophel and also Uriah the Hittite were part of David's personal bodyguard. They were called the 30, the 30. They were the men that were handpicked by David. Generals, lieutenants, uh, counselors that were his personal bodyguard. This is who the woman was identified with, now with the men in her life. So she, we don't even know if she even knew King David personally. So the story that we want to look at is a classic story of a man of great power, and a woman with no rights, a man of great influence, a man that was known around the civilized world at that time, a great man, yes, indeed, a great man, a powerful man, but he's fixing to meet a powerless woman. Now by their custom not necessarily the law of God but by their custom in this time frame of their culture a king could kill anyone who refused to do what he said. He had to have no scripture no quote. He didn't have to have anybody to go along with it. His word was law. Now You and I both know there's very few men that can handle that kind of power. To be honest with you, God never made man to have that kind of power. So we don't really know as far as the story when she is beckoned by King David, whether she screamed out, as the book of Leviticus said a woman is supposed to do, if she's assaulted, we don't know if she tried to talk him out of doing wrong. We're really unsure. But there's one thing about the scenario that we do know. David was king. And he was a powerful king. Notice in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings... Go forth to battle. That David sent Joab. But the Bible doesn't say it was time for Joab to go out. But it was time for David to go out. Now here's the setting then that we see which is going to lead up to something that David will never outlive the rest of his life. So we see a something in David that has now become a fault, a lack, a disrespect for God for his position that David is now pulling back and shirking an element of his responsibility. Notice how the author of Samuel writes it. At the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So they go out, and they go to fighting, and Joab takes command, and he steps up, and David is at home at Jerusalem. And while Joab is fixing to lay siege against Rabbah, Lucifer is laying siege against David. And he will prevail quicker than Joab will. While Joab and the army is carrying out David's command, David now enters into a slothful, lazy type of time in his life. Now, if you haven't been there you will be there as a Christian. All Christians face this time. Whether you're a king, a preacher, a deacon, a housewife, all of us go through times in our life when it seems like everything is going really good. And we become, if we're not careful, slothful, lazy, very relentless to do anything, and we think, well, it's the blessing of God. Not always. Not always is it a blessing of God. We can see from the way that the scripture terms this, this was not a time of Shabbat for David. God never decreed this. This was David's dereliction of his own duty. Now, notice in verse two, and it came to pass in an evening tide. Now, this is, of course, written in the Mediterranean type of vernacular, so it seems very strange to us, but the, these, these people in this era, they would rise at daybreak. Let me give you a cycle of their day. They would arise at daybreak, and then they would have their noon meal, about lunch uh, lunchtime would be around noon, and then the eventide would begin at three o'clock. That would be the hottest part of the day. Most of their houses were built with a flat roof. They didn't have the roofs that we do today. So no more than 8, 10, 12 feet tall, and they would go up on the roof because it was cooler. So they would always, unless they was in wartime or emergency going on, they would take a nap in the cool of the day, or the heat of the day, rather, waiting for the day to cool off. Too hot to work, too hot to do much, so they would take a siesta. So David is up on the roof. Now, he's already negligent of his duty. Notice in what the Bible says that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. So look what he's doing. Nothing, nothing. So he gets up off of his bed. Now, this is a king. This is a man who has great responsibility, a powerful man, but a powerful man needs to be a busy man because if he's not, he will get in great trouble. So notice he walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. Now the Bible doesn't give us great detail about the woman much prior to this and it doesn't say anything in this particular verse of what the woman was actually doing, how she was going about and I myself have always projected her as a seductress or a temptress, one who was this type of woman but as I begin to read in the scripture, what I found amazing in the last few weeks as I've been poring over this is that not one time did the Bible ever blame Bathsheba. As a matter of fact, it likens her to a lamb. Not an adulteress at all. And God never mentions Her or blames her, he blames David. So, as I begin to look at this, and I've looked at at Ruth, of course, as you know, and we've looked at at Tamar, and we've looked at Rahab, and now looking at, at this woman, which is a different scenario altogether, and I begin to realize that God took these women women rather, along with Mary and used their life, their background, their story, their past, what they come through, what they went through and all of that to merge a type of the Gentile bride as a whole. As if though they were a kaleidoscope of God picking a bride. So some would come from a very scarred background. Some would come from a background of all types of sexual promiscuity and others would come from a background that would be very rare, but a few of them, would come like Mary. or there was hardly anything against them at all other than just their natural birth. And yet God would take from that, this woman would reflect so many and this one so many. And God put the whole thing together to make a picture of what his Gentile bride would actually be. Amen. Now what's this, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. So here David is now just kind of lazing around and not really doing much. So he appears to have entered into a time to where he's kind of slothful and just laid back, taking a lot of naps. Uh, As we'd say it today, he spent a lot of time on video games and he knew more about Netflix than he did the Gospels. He knew more about television and movie stars and knew more about football. And, you know, he could tell you all the running backs and the quarterbacks and the no backs and the way backs and all types of things like that. But he didn't know too much about the Bible. Well, priest, brother, do you. you see, so David arises off of his bed. And in this afternoon of idleness, when he has nothing to do. You can imagine that this is a time when kings are supposed to be out to battle and he has nothing to do. There's something wrong with this scenario from the very beginning. Now remember, this is King David. This is a man after God's own heart. This is the giant killer. This is the dancing, shouting, psalm writing David. So David steps out. Now, according to the law, David, of course, was not supposed to take anything or lust after anything that did not belong to him. Now, when you look, and as I begin to look at the the history of this, and I found out that actually what Bathsheba was doing was she was not taking a bath just for pleasure, She was not taking a bath and all bubbly and soapy as like some of you sisters might like it. And and she had done this to be able to where the king would see her. But what she was doing, she was taking a mikvah, a mikvah. Now she had just finished her cycle. And according to the Levitical law, when a woman would come through this cycle, she was to take a mikvah, and that was there had to be so much standing water, but there had to be water which come out of a lake or a river or even the ocean. And they would take this water and mix it together with fresh water, but it could not be running water, but standing water. And they actually wouldn't even disrobe. They would not become undressed. So she was dressed, and this was the proper way to take a mikvah, sort of like whenever we get baptized in water. So we are baptized with our clothes on. Is that right? So what she was doing, and this is why that God never condemned her as being a prostitute or ill-famed or anything like that. And God now is going to, through this union, God is going to bring some years later King Solomon and also another son by the name of Nathan, which out of this lineage will come the Messiah. So you think there had to be a perfect will of God that somehow God would have joined David and Bathsheba together but it was not the way David was going to go about it. Oh my, can you say amen? amen? So the mikvah then is the ritual bath designed for the Jewish right to complete where this woman would be cleansed. So she's not doing it as a, a way of a prostitute to be able to look out for this man and see if somebody will look at her and lust after him. Notice then in verse three, and David sent and inquired after the woman. So David is now, he sees the woman and the Bible says she was beautiful to look upon and David sent and inquired after the woman and one said, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David apparently was unaware of who the woman was, but somebody told him. One of his generals, one of his, who knows what it was, but somebody told David who this was, and this individual knew who she was very well. But the main thing he knew was she was married. And what does David do in response? Verse 4 And David sent messengers and took her. This is an amazing word, took. To take, get, fetch, lay hold of, snatch, capture. To steal, to be taken captive. So now we have the great King David stealing a sheep Mm. oh my so now we have a different scenario about a great man I wish I didn't have to preach this I wish I never had to bring this up but I'm glad God had it written in the Bible That's one thing I love about the Bible. It don't just write all the good things about the people. It writes many of their faults and their failures. And I appreciate a man that'll preach them myself. Now, notice, and David sent messengers and took her, and she came unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Now here, David, the mighty man, the man of influence, takes advantage of his position and he usurps his kingly, God-given authority over a woman which has no rights, no rights. If she would have refused him, she could have been killed. Oh my goodness, how many men have done exactly the same thing. Well, I'm gonna preach with or without you this morning. How many preachers have done such a thing and they use their position to to waylay sisters in the church, whether they were married or single or young or whatever they were, and by their position fall to lower than a snake. Well, hallelujah. What is it? It's not only preachers. This is why the Me Too movement several years ago come to light in America because many women began to come out and testify that their boss done this or said that or did this or would promote them if they would do special favors. Don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Why is it? Because you can't find many real real, true men or women as far as that's go in the age that we're living in that can have authority over others and not use that influence for their own rotten benefit. But I say shame on every one of them that does it. Whether it's a preacher, whether it's a man in a company, whether it's a CEO or whatever he is, I say shame on them. Well, praise the, praise the Lord. So here David now is going to move into a very, very rotten cycle of humanity. Now, notice how that the prophet Nathan, it's funny, the prophets, how God would give them the words to say it. It, it must have been a heartbreaking scenario that day. In, no doubt, God gave the man a vision And it must have been so discouraging because this was the same man that God used to tell David that God would establish with him and his seed an everlasting covenant. And now he has to go back and convey a different message. But David, like the most of us, had such an easy time seeing the faults in other people but struggled to see his own. Praise the Lord. Well, I'll preach to me, and y'all just kind of bear with me as I preach to me today, okay? Now, notice how the prophet Nathan conveys this. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came to him and saith unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the, the other poor. So now a year has gone and David thinking maybe that he's, he's been able to hide this and been able to get over it but yet knowing in his conscience that this thing is not right with God and God is going to bring his son to repentance. Now I'm not sure exactly how this sermon is going to go. As a matter of fact, It's taken me hours upon hours upon hours to find the direction in which way I should project this. So I know the outreach of it is going to be tremendous. I know that already. And I know already there's going to be lives that are going to be affected by it. And it will affect you and I according to how we will let it affect us. I want it to affect me in a good way. If I can learn by David's mistake, so be it. If you can learn by David's mistake, so be it. And the church said? So it must have taken direction from the Spirit of God to be able to help Nathan to know what to say. Now remember the king had power even over the prophets as far as taking their life. If they so desired, King David could have called when Nathan come in to start to tell this story. He could have called and had him beheaded right there. Now, it was against the not that it was according to God's law, but according to the law of the land and the way they looked at it. So, Nathan, no doubt, must have entered into the court of the king with great precaution. Yet, feeling he had a message, by now, Nathan knew what had went on. God had conveyed to him the mystery of the secret of the sin. Now watch, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. Now remember, David's background was that he was formerly a shepherd. So the spirit of God, no doubt, led Nathan to be able to convey a story that would catch David's attention and if you don't mind me saying it this way, to get him off guard. Something that would let him hear the story and would be able to penetrate past the guard of himself, which he still had up because of his own pride and humanity. Now, so the Spirit of God gives Nathan a story that David's gonna be able to relate to, so he uses the story as a shepherd and sheep. Now, remember, David was quite the shepherd. And no doubt he had risked his life many times. Remember when he fought the lion and when he fought the bear? No doubt he had many, many personal stories that he could have told. So the Spirit of God led Nathan to deal with something, not with the king committing adultery, not with the king taking this man's wife. No, 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 he couldn't go that way. So he would have to display this story in a parable And it's amazing how that us humans are. That if we will tell a story and we leave the actors nameless and how good godly people will be able to judge that story with no name attached to it. And from their heart, they'll look at it and say, that ain't right, I'll tell you one thing. That ain't the way it should have been done. But if you would have put a name on the story initially, they'd have said something totally different. I hate that about every one of us. You might as well just go ahead and nod your head or say amen because you're just like every other stinking, rotten human being. So if God would have led Nathan and Nathan would have come out there, I'll tell you one thing, David, who are you to challenge me? Who are you? But God did not want to condemn the man to be lost. He loved him. and he wanted to help the man to repent. So you imagine when Nathan starts telling the story right from the get-go, we'd say. The poor man had nothing save one little prostitute, one little harlot, one little temptress that she was evil and wicked, Notice the way God projects Bathsheba in this parabolic form. That she was actually a ewe lamb. Now David's attention, no doubt he'd heard about it all of his life, how that shepherds would do this and shepherds would do that and they would sneak the lambs and they'd, they'd tell the owner, well, this one got killed and a bear eat this one and David himself was out there in the field and the knew they would lied. They'd sold that lamb so anything to do with the lambs and sheep, boy, it got his attention. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had brought, bought rather, I am nourished up. So the poor man, I remember David's a rich man, and he was hearing this in a twofold manner from his background of being a shepherd, but also being a king, which is to help bring justice to the poor of his kingdom as well as the rich. So the words from the prophet are exactly precise. What God wants to do is open David's soul past David's flesh and get it open just long enough where the prophet can insert the sword. Why? To kill him, to annihilate him, to destroy him, to bring him to repentance. I'm so glad that's our father. Now remember, he still is leaving this story without names. So the one you lamb is Bathsheba. And the poor man, of course, is Uriah, and the rich man is David. But you see, the story sometimes has more power if you leave the names out. Sort of like us? You know, if it's your son or your daughter or your best friend, uh, then we render one judgment. And if it's just a story in general, boy, our righteousness will raise up. Let that man die. Glory to God. uh, Let this happen and that happen. Mm. Long as it's nameless people, oh, we're so righteous. Do you understand the Bible tells us to have respect of persons is sin. When we will render judgment differently because it's a different person under the same scenario, we have sinned just like if you'd smoked a cigarette, drunk a bottle of beer. God help us. Now, watch even the adjectives that the prophet uses? Because he likens Bathsheba to a ewe lamb, a young lamb. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Jewish history says that Uriah was an older man, and he had several children by another woman. But Bathsheba was a young woman. Now watch the adjectives of the prophet. So this poor man had a ewe lamb, a young, beautiful wife, a convert to Judaism, insomuch that she was taking the mitvah, being converted from being a Gentile. So he has this young wife. Now notice the prophet says he bought her which of course the way they did it was they would give them a dowry. They would have to give the father so much for the daughter depending on her beauty and depending on whether she's educated or not. So if you had a beautiful woman, you had to pay a lot. If she had you know, a little bit of book learning, you had to pay a lot more. I guess you'd look for a lot of dumb, ugly ones in that day, wouldn't you? (laughs) 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 Woo! Depending on how fat your pocketbook was. But now this was their dowry. So watch now, the prophet is laying it out in such a beautiful description. You see, once we look back at this, it makes so much sense how beautiful it is. After I begin to read this, I wonder, have I ever read this before? Have I ever read this before? So he nourished this ewe lamb up. Look at the words he uses. He nourished her up as his own flesh which is the way husbands should do their wives. Now watch what he's doing on purpose. Nathan is showing such a love between this poor man and this ewe lamb. So the lamb is not just a, you know, it's not just an animal. It's not just a piece of property to this man, but it's actually a part of his family. He nourished this lamb. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but unlike us in the modern day, they did not have dogs and cats in their houses. As a matter of fact, to them, a dog was one of the lowest animals on the earth. But they would have pet lambs. Uh huh. Pet lambs and other farm animals, and some of them would actually feed them from their table. They'd never have a dog or a cat. Now, I'm not against you if you got one, to you. But I'm just telling you the way it was in their time. So watch Nathan, how he takes this scenario, and he says, it grew up together with him, and notice how he includes his children, and with his children. So now he meets this, beautiful young woman and she becomes his wife and then she's also growing up and he loved her so much and watch how Nathan sets it forth that she was not an animal. She was not a piece of property. Why is he saying that? Because that's the way David treated her. She was nothing more than a piece of flesh to satisfy his lust. But that's not the way Uriah looked at her. To Uriah, she was this precious, wonderful thing that God had given him. Speak to us, Lord God. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him a daughter. Now notice, all of these adjectives that he's using is the expression of love that Uriah had for Bathsheba. Each adjective is making David worse and worse as far as his pitch and fervor of anger. You imagine him saying, that dog, I cannot believe a man would do something like that. What in the world? And Nathan is describing him. So David is a thief. David is a sheep stealer. And by this time the parable's given, he's also a murderer. Now David killed thousands. Remember the song the daughters of Israel sang to David? Saul has killed his hundreds, but David his thousands and his tens of thousands. And I hope you don't misunderstand me, but as far as we know by scriptural account, he had never murdered anyone, ah, down, which is not the same thing as killing the enemy of God. Then you're doing it to God's bidding. If you look it up in the Ten Commandments, when it says thou shalt kill and chase the Hebrew word, it is thou shalt do no murder. The same God that said thou shalt not kill is the same God that tell, kill the Amorites, kill the Hittites, kill the Philistines. Is that right? But there's a great difference in killing to defense and in murder. And this was premeditated murder. Amen. King David. Oh, you can still enjoy the book of Psalms after this. You can still enjoy the songs and all the things that God did. It ought to make you appreciate him even more than you've ever appreciated him. Oh, my. So here, his affections were so endeared to this this woman. So whatever that he had, he shared with her. And she was part of his house. And They just loved her so much. Now what's Nathan as he moves to verse four. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock. So the traveler that came, what was it? David's passion, David's lust, anointed by the devil. So the traveler came and he knocked on David's door. You see, this is the way sin does. It will come as a guest but remain as a master. Unless you open the door and boot him out. There came a traveler unto the rich man and spared to take his own flock and of his own herd. So watch him now as he brings this together and he makes it like a scenario And that day would have been and it was of their custom. You know, the Bedouins even today, the Arabs, it's one of the greatest attributes that they have among themselves that if they see someone walking or, or a stranger coming through, hospitality is something that they do it's it's, it's part of their custom and part of who they are so here he takes the common scenario of that day and he sets it forth that a stranger come through and he invited him into the house and, and instead of him taking one of his own lambs one of his own sheep what he does he goes to the house of this one poor man and then he has this one sheep And this one sheep is not one among 10,000. It's not one among 500. It's the only one he has. And he kills that sheep and he feeds that sheep to his passions, to his lusts. Praise the Lord. but took, here's this word again, fetch, snare, steal. So now we have David the thief. And what did David steal? A sheep. Isn't it strange that God would liken a man's wife to being a sheep? So now King David is a thief and a murderer. Well, I think y'all were quiet this this morning. (laughs) But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Now notice again in the parable that God addresses David as the aggressor. David as the trespasser. God would never, I can't believe I hadn't seen this before. God would have never identified Bathsheba as a ewe lamb, as innocent, had she been a temptress. You understand? So King David takes this lamb and feeds this passion, this lust. He doesn't love her. He doesn't love this woman. So he sends her back home. Oh my goodness you see, by the time Nathan comes, David the sheep stealer is now David the murderer. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14, and it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab. I'll save your time. You can read it when you get time. You remember how that he tried to get Uriah to go into his wife and he wouldn't do it. You remember all of that. That David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it By the hand of Uriah. Now in this letter, he's going to tell him what to do to get Uriah killed. And Uriah carries that letter himself. This man is a general of yours. If you know the background, for, for them to even live close enough, this man was a Gentile, a Hittite. Which according to history for this man to live this close to the house of David that he could have looked out of the top of his roof and see his house. He had to do many great feats for David and for the kingdom of Israel. His house was a gift from King David. So close he could see it into his house. This man that may have even risked his own life for David. David. And he gives him a message. He's packing his own death warrant. But he was so loyal to David, he would have never dared to broke the seal on that letter and read it. He was more loyal than David was. At this time in David's life, a Gentile was more reputable than the king of Israel. He wrote in the letter saying, set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And this man sticks this in his pocket and hands it over to Joab and goes about his merry way, not realizing his king has just betrayed him. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. And yet, when David hears this about this rich man, he gets so angry. He gets so mad. Why? The parable had no names. So let's go back to the parable in verse five. And David's anger was greatly kindled against a man that he didn't know who it was. Uh And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Now, let's just be honest and frank with each other. This would not have been his judgment had it been his name that introduced the parable. That would have been one excuse after another. Well, it's my wife's fault. Which one? You had two, three hundred. Well, it was this one's fault and that one's fault and that and done this and this and done that. That's the way human beings are. We're a sorry lot, ain't we? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound God would still love us in spite of all the trash about us. (laughs) Oh my. So David passed judgment, not realizing who the man was. Of all the blindness that we as human beings can have, It's that which makes us blind to ourselves and our family and our closest friends. Now, Nathan just holds his peace and lets David go ahead and pronounce the judgment. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Oh, you see, the sermon was a success. If mine can be 100 to 1% as successful as Nathan's was that day, it'll be of great success today. Where did he get this ideology of pity? Where did this come in the scenario? Because the man loved it fed it from his table, drank from its cup. All these words, it was opening up David's spirit. It was opening up David's inner man so the prophet could say what? What he's fixing to say. The sword must enter his heart his righteous indignation. He's open now. He's very vulnerable. But now the prophet has got him exactly where he wants him. He won't be there long. He's only got a little while, just like I have with you. Only got a little while to be able to reach inside of there and be able to penetrate deep down into the soul. Now David is actually quoting the law. Exodus 22, 1. If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it and sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. We love that quote, didn't we? And what about the sixth commandment? And what about the seventh? He brought four. Of the ten, maybe when I get done, we should all make our chair and altar call. Isn't it amazing how we can judge others and be so harsh and judge? And we break four commandments here and three commandments there and two over here and. And remember what come out of his mouth. This man shall pay fourfold. So the son that is born of David and Bathsheba, number one. Amnon, number two. Adonijah, number three. Absalom, number. No wonder the Bible tells us, judge not, and you shall not be judged. He still doesn't know who the rich man is. He doesn't recognize the you lamb, the traveler. But look in verse 7. He's open. He's vulnerable. Now's the time. Insert the sword. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. God goes on to tell him, I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave to the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I gave you all that, but if that wasn't enough, I would have even done more if you needed it, if you wanted it. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? to do evil in thy sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Now wait a minute. David wasn't there on the battlefield, was he? But God said it as if though David himself had killed him. You see, whenever we run down one another and ruin one another's influence, we just killed our brother or our sister. We might as well just took a knife and stabbed right in their back. And you see, this tends to follow with this type of scenario. I remember several years ago, I was in another country at a convention that I was preaching. And the pastor that was holding the convention introduced me to this man and that man, a lot of men I did not know, of course. And he introduced me to this particular individual. He said, Brother Donnie, this is an associate of our church. I said, oh, okay. Nice to meet you, brother. That night as I was preaching, I was speaking about Satan and how he stole the angels from God at the beginning. You've heard me preaching on Satan's ambition. And for whatever reason, I just turned and the man was sitting right here to my right. And I said it would be something like this brother that he goes to the local church here and he he gets tired of being an associate so he wants to start his own church and I just likened that to Satan. Well sometime after that this man contacts me and he tells me that he and some of the people of that assembly are fixing to Divide this church. They've done got a building. This is like a week or two before it's fixing to happen. And I I wondered why in the world is he telling me this? Of course, I tried to talk him out of it because I knew the brother, knew there was no reason at all for him to do it. I pondered over it. I I thought about it. I prayed about it. I I thought, Lord, what do I do? Do Do I tell this brother? He was a friend of mine. Do I tell him? Do I let it go? I don't want to be a meddler. I don't want to be a troublemaker, nothing like that. So I've got this real close friend that stands about this tall and got real dark hair and dark eyes and pulls no punches. So I called him on the phone. Now unlike some of you that when you got saved you found out you knew everything in the message and you don't need no help from nobody. I'm, I'm not that way. I, I'm kind of ignorant, dumb sort of a guy and I need help about every day just getting up out of bed. you know. So I, I called Brother Tim and I said, Brother Tim, let me tell you this situation. I find myself in a quandary. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I thought, oh boy, here we go. If Brother Darrell, Or any of the preachers at your church was going to do that to you, I would let you know about it. And you are obligated to call that brother. I said, okay. So I called that brother. I wasn't scared of Brother Tim, I just wanted to make sure I was right. I called the brother that was the pastor. Talked a little bit, made small talk. How you doing? Doing good. How's the church doing? Good. I said, how's Brother so-and-so? Oh, Brother Don, he's doing so good. He's been such a blessing to us. He's this, that, the other. And then I had to tell him the bad news. I said, Brother, I hate with all of my heart to be the bearer of bad news to you, but this Sunday, we're going to do thus and so and thus and so and thus and so. Now, that was bad. Okay, it was bad. But what happened even worse though is this brother entered into a stage of being a murderer because he started fighting this preacher and other preachers. You see, this man had an ambition. Hmm? Yeah, David had an ambition and it wasn't always godly. Would somebody at least breathe out? Y'all are getting me nervous. I'm afraid y'all are going to pass out at one time. There you go. In intake, outtake. There you go. Ah, it makes me feel better. They said, "What killed all them people at one time? It's that guy's sermon? He wiped out the whole church." How'd that all happen? Well, we've we done code blue on all of them, and the, the autopsy said every one of them died of a heart attack. That was sad. What was even more sad, the man that caused that scenario backslid, got away from God, other people led away from God. And because of his sin, some to this day are still paying. You see, as the people of God, we're not in this by ourselves. You may think, oh, nobody, I have no influence over anybody. Don't you believe that? If it ain't nobody more than your wife and your sons or your daughters, we are a body, friends. And we need one another like never before. So David, the harpist, the singer, the shouter, the giant killer, becomes A saint killer becomes a murderer, a sheep thief, a stealer. Does it really make any difference to God whether you steal money or sheep or oxen? Somebody else's car? Some of you would never steal somebody else's car but you're jealous of this and that and the other, so you steal favor. You steal something that don't belong. I would rather have favor in the eyes of five people, God-given favor, than to have favor in the eyes of 5,000 and have to steal it by conniving lies and deceit. So now I'm going to put the judgment in your lap. What should we do with this king? Should we tar and feather him? Should we kill the man? I know some of you have been treated terrible. Some of you have been treated awful by preachers. It takes the grace of God for some of you still believe in preachers. But just because one has done you wrong don't mean that there's not some left on the earth that are still God's servants. I guarantee you that I could say this without exaggeration. I've been treated worse by preachers than all of y'all put together. And Brother Branham could say without exaggeration he'd been treated worse by preachers than I have been. And he still believed in preachers. As a matter of fact, he hoped that God would make both of his boys preachers because to him there could have been no higher call. So, Bathsheba, maybe you've been hurt. Someone took advantage of you and hurt you. What do you do with it? Let me just give you a little preview of what we'll continue on with Lord Winner next week. She's the only one in the Bible of the queens that was given the title of Queen mother she was the only one in the bible coming up like this that was given a throne yes Bathsheba was given a throne well i can't tell i can't wait till next week as a matter of fact they say proverbs 31 You know what Proverbs 31 is? We'll read it after church. Who can find the virtuous woman? The Jewish historians say, Solomon wrote that as an epitome to his mother. King Lemuel is what he calls himself. He refers to his mother over and over Again, she could have felt sorry for herself. She could have had all types of, you know, grudges and this and that and the other. But instead of doing that, she let God take his mercy and rewrite her life. She was innocent. She was innocent. Let's bow our heads together. Oh Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I commit this service, this sermon, this word, and these people into your care, this visible audience and the invisible And there'll be many thousands, no doubt, that will hear it. So if there's a David about to make a horrible mistake, may you stop him. Maybe there's a David that's made that horrible mistake already and he's daily living with the condemnation of it, worried that he's crossed the line and can't get back. Maybe there's a Bathsheba that has been trespassed against by a man of power, a man of authority. She feels like her life is worthless. Lord God, whatever wherever we are today, help us, Jesus. Your prophet told us well, power apart from character is satanic. Lord, we realize that many men in this message have so abused their position. Lord God, I wish I wasn't privy to all that I know that has happened around this message over the years by preachers. I wish in one way, Lord, I could have been left alone, just stayed down in Kentucky and nobody knew me. I wish I would have never had to been brought to the position that I'm in. I wish I could have been left down there But that wasn't your will. So help me, Lord. Ignorance is bliss, as we say. How many of us no doubt wish we wouldn't know this and know that and know the other. But, Father, we pray today that you would help us. Then, Lord God, we not only pray that you would forgive us, oh, Jesus, but we ask that you would help us not to wrong others. Help us, Father, when we judge matters to be very careful. Help us, Lord, that no matter whose name is attached to a scenario, may we not render a different judgment because if it's a family member or a loved one or a friend, may we render the exact same judgment No matter who it is, because the word is always right. Oh, Jesus, may you, hallelujah, may you insert your sword, as it were. If we need to be cleansed, to be washed, to be cut loose from something, maybe it's something that we hold in our hearts. Maybe some have been so trespassed against, Lord, they don't hardly trust nobody. May you bring healing to them today, Father. Lord God, we bring our lives before you. We commit them into your care. I know, Lord, many of these people have been hurt by preachers, have been let down by them. They hold every preacher, even me, at arm's length, as we would say because they've been hurt so deeply, it's like they can never trust again. Lord Jesus, I pray you would help us that we can love again, trust again. Hallelujah. Be able to have confidence again, Lord. Some don't just need healing in their body. They need healing in their spirit. Imagine that woman at the well must have been one Difficult woman to ever reach. She'd been so abused by men. So taken advantage of by men. Same as Rahab, the prostitute, turned out on the street by her parents to make a living selling her body. It must have been so hard for her to trust another man. And yet, here come a preacher with the message of the hour. And there was such an overwhelming force from her soul that helped her to believe that message. She found herself being healed of trust. She trusted them men so much she hid them. She risked her own life to hide them on the roof of her house. Lord Jesus, help us to love again. Help us to trust again. Help us to forgive Oh, Jesus, I'm speaking from experience myself today, Lord. I thank you for helping me, Lord Jesus. I've been hurt since a child. Started being hurt by preachers when I was just a boy. As many of these have. But I thank you today, Lord. I can still trust I can forgive. These people don't realize what a miracle is standing before them. Lord, my worst, greatest hurt has been by preachers. Preachers that you trust. Ones you have confidence in. Ones that you believe or stand with you during the hard times when the hard times come they turn their back and go the other way but I'm so grateful today Lord that you help me I still believe in preachers I still believe in sheep because the second next category that's hurt me the most has been sheep sheep that you cry for you pray for you give them their life you give them a portion of your life every time you preach They rob you of your sleep. They rob you of your family time. They rob you of all kinds of things in your life. And they get tired of you and they turn and walk away and don't even have the common courtesy to come and talk to you. They treat you lower than they would their dog or their house cat. They don't even have enough respect to come and talk to. you but I'm so grateful today, Lord. I still believe in sheep, and I love sheep. Help me, Jesus. Help these people, Jesus. Help the ones in Africa that'll hear this. The ones in Canada. The ones in Europe. Lord God, in the name of Jesus. If there's a sheep stealer that'll hear this, deal with his heart. If there's a money thief or whatever kind of thief it is, help them to realize as long as they got breath, they got hope. It might be easy for us to condemn the thief, but Lord, I believe there's mercy for the thief. That's what the message from Nathan was about He's talking to the thief himself. Lord Jesus, help us not only to reach out to the injured, but the injurer. Help us not only to reach out to those who've been hurt, but the herder himself or herself. That's where it draws the line for us. It makes it so hard for us, Lord. If we know somebody hurts our pastor, hurts our friends, hurts our family, Oh, it's really hard on us. It's hard for us to speak to them again. It's hard for us to treat them the same. But Lord Jesus, help us to be like you are. Help us to reach out to the Davids in our life. Grant it, Lord. I think when we can come to that spot from our soul, we're probably not too many weeks away or months away from a body change. We can scream seven seals and holler seven trumpets and all that sort of thing, but it's really the hidden things inside of our heart that tell who we are. Oh, Jesus, if I've ever took anything from any person, if I've ever wronged any person, forgive me, Lord God. If there's anything against me today, I pray, my Father, you'd forgive me. I don't want to leave this life with anything held against me, Lord. Cleanse me. Wash me. I don't just pray for myself. I pray for everyone here, Lord God. Or is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that would stand to your feet and say, Lord, that's my prayer too. If there's anything I've done, anything I've said, if I've offended anybody, if I've done anything wrong, Even if I don't even know about it, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. No wonder David said, it is against thee and thee only that I've sinned. Cleanse me from blood guiltiness, Lord, and I will be cleansed. Wash me with hyssop and I shall be washed. God don't just forgive smoking. God don't just forgive drinking. God forgives it when you won't speak to that neighbor. When you shun that one that's done you a little wrong. He specializes in forgiveness of those things too. Can we just bow our heads together and just pray for each other? Not necessarily that you lay your hand on them if you don't want to, but you're not just praying for yourself now. You believe what you want to about this sermon, but if you trust me as your pastor, Almighty God gave me this. Heavenly Father, in this solemn moment, we bow our heads and we're not just necessarily praying for ourselves, but we're praying for each other this morning. We're praying, Lord, for those that we go to church with, those that we love as our part of this flock. But Lord, we don't want to just limit it to that. We want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. And we most of all want to pray for those who have trespassed against us. Lord, we know from the remaining portion of this story as it goes on in time. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And when Absalom raised up an insurrection against David and wanted to divide the kingdom and pull people away from David's kingdom, Ahithophel took sides with Absalom. And even though David had done wrong, Absalom was not justified in what he had done. And Ahithophel broke allegiance to God's anointed And we know the end of the story. His counsel was rejected and he goes and takes his own life because he was on the wrong side in the time of battle. He sided with the wrong leader. Oh Lord God, I pray you would help us, Father. We pray for those who have spoken against us. We pray for those who have done us wrong from the the young girls with those that go to school with the young men of people they work with that maybe laugh at them and ridicule them, we pray for them. For those that work in the medical field and they're laughed at because their sisters dress different than most of them, we pray for them today. Forgive them, Father. We do not want to get a grudge like Ahithophel did. And it didn't kill David, but it took his own life because he would not let go of David's fault and David's sin, but it ate on him and aid on him. And the first opportunity Ahithophel saw, he joined with Absalom to try to take the kingdom away from David. But even though David was wrong, he had repented and he was still your anointed. Lord Jesus, forgive us of our failures, our shortcomings. We love you, Father. If I've done anything wrong, said anything wrong to anyone, forgive me, Jesus. We love you, Lord God. Praise be to God. If there's some here, Lord, that can't love again, help them to love again. Help them to trust. Grant it, I pray, Father. Now, whatever you have need of in your heart, would you just raise your hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord? You don't have to speak it out loud if you don't want the person standing by you to hear what you're saying. But just in your heart, Lord, you know what I need. Lord, you know I have a hard time trusting. You see, I'm so scarred and I've got so many things I, I just can't trust, Lord but I need your help to heal me. I need your help to forgive and to love again, to trust again, to believe in people again, to believe, Lord, to trust. Oh, Jesus, we worship you, great Adonai. We bless your name, Father. Right now, may you minister healing, Lord. I pray among your people. Hallelujah. I may need healing in your spirit today, not just so much your body. May God bring it to your friends. Oh, Jesus. Let's just worship him for just a few minutes now before we go. Thank you, Lord God. Many years ago, I was preaching a convention with Brother Biscoe and Brother Van at Brother Harold Hildebrand's church that had a prayer line. Brother Harold wanted me to preach that night, so I went on the direction of faith. We preached, prayed rather, for several hundred people. The last service, which was on Sunday, I didn't know what I was going to preach. I was so tore up I wouldn't even go eat lunch. Those of you that have heard Brother Vin and Brother Biscoll, they preached everything I felt like there was to preach. They didn't leave nothing even in the back of the Bible in the concordance for me to preach from. I looked at the maps, but they covered the maps too. So I thought, what in this world am I going to preach on? What am I going to say? I took Carol, I said, you go for lunch. I need to be by myself. I need some time from the Lord. But as I began to pray and talk to him, and his presence come in that hotel room where I was at. And he dealt with me about going down the line of the scarred human beings. Many of you have heard that. I went a little bit different direction, but that night, as I began to preach, and I knew in just, just a few moments I was in the right channel. And I began to preach, and I could see people weeping here and there and there and crying. Preached the sermons. I was fixing to wind up. Brother Harold stepped up behind me. He said, Offer a prayer line. I said, We just had one the other night. He said, Offer a prayer line. I said, All right. I said, Brother Harold says, If we want to have a prayer line, anybody here would want to be prayed for? We didn't have one. We had three. One preacher was at one prayer line. Another preacher was at another prayer line. I was at another one. The things I heard that night, of people coming through, people in their 80s, one sister, 90 years old, the story she told me would break the heart of the hardest person. They weren't coming through for cancer. A few of them were. But most of it was scars that had bore decades of their life. Brother Hildebrandt told me later, he said, called me a few days after I got home, he said, you act like you was really nervous that night. I said, I wasn't acting. I was nervous. And he said, well, I just wanted to let you know, we've already had more requests for that sermon than all the rest of them put together. Deep, wonderful, profound preaching. And yet all that deep preaching apparently had not touched the wounded spirits and broken hearts of many, many hundreds of those saints of God. Let go, friends. Learn to trust. Learn to live again so God can have a throne for you so Let's just worship a little bit before we go, can Let's just close our eyes now and just let him minister healing to you. Create in me a clean. you Lord creating us a clean heart oh a heart that's pleasing to you as the prophet Jeremiah said who can know the heart it can be such a wicked thing it can hide things that is so wrong cleanse us today
1: Jesus
0: wash us Lord God hallelujah wash us with the blood cleanse us Lord God create in me Amen. Let's just worship him together, saints. Hallelujah. Oh,
1: God, and renew
0: We've seen you heal cancer. We've seen you heal tumors. We've seen you do so many things. But Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus, bring healing today to spirits. Bring healing today, Lord, in another avenue, Father. Granted, I pray, Lord.
1: Amazing grace has- that saved a wretch like me I-
2: Over years ago, And uh, the other night, it was actually just Brother John Horniak was, I think, up praying, and he just was just talking about the things the Lord has done for us that we haven't really given him credit for, and, or that's just the way it was impressed upon my heart. you know And years ago, it's about about 2005, uh, I've been in the military off and on for the last 20 years, and I was in the army, and uh, they had. I had me. I had a blood clot happen in the optic nerve. I had surgery and a vaccine about the same time. They don't know what caused it, but I lost vision almost completely in my right eye. And uh, and I got prayed for. And uh, I went to. First of all, I get ahead of myself. I went to a specialist, and I was twenty-three years old. And uh, it started macular degeneration in my right eye at 23. And they said they hadn't seen it in somebody as young as me before. And they wanted to do steroid injections directly through my eyeball and and just keep trying to pump up that nerve. And um, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a man of, of great faith. Like, I just, I feel like it was almost just fear, not really wanting to go through that. And I just, I mean, got prayed for, and the Lord healed me. Like, I had, I would get headaches and stuff like that, so I just didn't feel like I was completely healed, you know. And so I was, you know, in my own pride, probably not getting up, not really testifying what the Lord had done. And uh, you know, kind of revisit here recently. Hey, with uh, I'm, uh, the military's... Coming through with this whole another round of vaccines, they want me to take, and it was high risk for blood clots. So I kind of took a stand. I didn't want to, didn't want to lose vision again, and um, so uh, just kind of held out, held out. Don't want to do that. They're going to kick me out. So well, they're like, well, go see an eye specialist. We want to see, and I hadn't. After being prayed for, I just was like, I'm not going to see a specialist anymore. I just that was it. You know, it was like 15 years ago. I just, just I'm not going. And, and I, my vision, I got a little headache, so I'm going to live with it. I'm just not going to see a specialist anymore, just claim my healing. I've been going back 15 years, and what, what Brother Donnie said, talking about leaving a scar, and, and you know, that definitely I have a lot. And th- this time, I went to the specialist here in Johnson City, and he looked, and he's like, I can see you with a scar, but your optic nerve's completely healed, you know? So... I still get headaches from it, but I just believe really, we need to stand on the promises God's given us. And just know that sometimes, even though it's the weakest of faith, if we can claim it and just stand, it doesn't matter what the devil says. And I, you know, just actually, it was when uh, Sister Erica was just leaving the other day here, she she just looked like she was in a lot of pain. It was like, my heart hurts for her those of the saints that i see that the devil's coming against us we got to believe and pray for each other and really understand that even though our faith may you the devil might lie to you and say you're not a great christian Well, he said if the weakest of these will stand up lord the, the demons will cry amen. so i just felt i had to share that this amen
0: this Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To our Father. Of service Wednesday night but Lord willing we'll be back next Sunday the Lord willing amen have you enjoyed church today
1: amen. give the Lord a good hand clap of praise <laughs>
2: hallelujah amen. amen certainly enjoyed such an honest and such a humbling message for
0: every one of us but Donnie, we appreciate that this morning, buddy. God bless your heart. Give a,
1: give our pastor a nice hand this morning, if you will. Our God is awesome.